Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, you weren't here for this one. <laughs> it was you. It's all you. Oh, wait a minute. I wasn't there for that one. The This, that, that was before. You were somewhere else, right? You know, we've been making this show together for what? 15 years or yeah. 13 years. And I think there's only one or two occasions where we've ever done in- interviews independently of each other. I remember when you went to Washington once. Yeah, that's right. He did an interview there. But this one, this is different. This was a crazy little tour. Mm-hmm. In Germany and Switzerland, Berlin, Zurich, and Munich on behalf of Telerik. And we had, I had, I could go and you couldn't. So right, here right. you go. One of these weird interview situations. Uh, yeah. I was putting on a little festival in New London, Keto Fest, which was a huge success. Yeah. But it was a, it was a shame because I really wanted to go. But, but you, we, we decided that you were going to do some interviews there and do some live shows and record Absolutely. them because, hey, an interview is an interview. This is good stuff. Yeah, yeah, no question. Yeah. And, and very happy with the shows I got. It was been great fun. Great. Well, I can't wait to hear this one. And uh, But before we do that, we have this little business of Better Know Framework. All right, dude, what do you got? This is so cool. Uh, Steve Strong sent this to me. It's a, a blog post from a guy. Uh, the blog post is called Web Breachers Hacking and Hiking Blog. And he uh, had a little accident. He was playing volleyball and broke a, a toe, a weight-bearing bone in his foot, actually. And um, and so the doctor basically told him he had to use a walker. And uh, by the by, walker, I mean you know those. You ever see those things where people push their, you know, they put their knee on it and then it's got wheels and they push it so there's no weight on their feet. Right. Right. Yeah. So he basically got this thing that straps to your leg and instead of pushing it with a wheel it has a little extension with a sort of a foot on it so you can oh like almost like a peg leg yeah like a peg leg exactly but you your your leg your your that bottom half of your leg and your foot sticks out and back but you can use it just like you've got two legs you know you don't have to wheel around you can go on escalators and and all that other kind of stuff and uh, so that's what he did but then he wanted to to bling it out <laughs> so, you know as you do as you do so he <laughs> went to adafruit and got this $25 complete computer and all these blinky lights and the only thing he did was just program the lights nice but he wanted to he was just like hey yeah, man yeah. if i'm going to you know if I'm going to hobble around like this, I want to draw some attention to myself because that's what you do. Yeah. So it's it's a great story and he shares the code and he shares what he did. And uh, I just encourage everybody to read it and check out the video too, where he actually does the lights and uh, it's it's pretty cool. That's really neat. Yeah. Hey, that's fine. Good one. Yep. Thanks, Steve. That's what I got. Who's talking to us? Uh, we're going to talk UX with Jessica here. So I grabbed a comment off of show 1504, which was the UX design rants with Billy Hollis. Yeah, right. From December of 2017. You know, Billy. Of course. He always has a few. He's a little ranty at times here. But Joel has a nice rant back, which is just, I love everything about that. He starts off by saying, I could totally agree with Billy. The user experience for Skype is horrible. Yeah. I'm so glad I'm not the only one that thinks this. It's getting worse, too. Yeah. You know, we spent a lot of time in Skype, although they finally forced us to upgrade. And the new one, 
you know, there's some pieces missing, but it's better. A little. Eh. Yeah. Anyway, Joel goes on to say, Toward the end of the show, Billy mentioned that you can't really go up to a user and ask them what features they want. I've often found that rather than asking what features a user wants, it helps to ask what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. By figuring out what the user's end goal is, then you can start to figure out what specific requirements are there to accomplish that goal and then base any sort of design on those requirements. It sounds so elementary, but it's so rarely done well. Right. For example, if a user says, I need a text box and a button to send a message to another user, the question really should be, what are you trying to accomplish? Why are you needing to message another user? What information are you trying to relay? How urgent does that information need to be relayed? Should this information be relayed automatically? What will the receiving user do with this information? In some cases, the right solution might be to change the business practices. In other cases, an existing solution might work, while in other cases, they may actually need to do something in the way of sending a message. Hmm. As software developers, we are far often too gung-ho about just building things that we often fail to stop and ask if they actually need to be built. Like a misquote from Jurassic Park, because there's anything, anything better than a quote, it's a misquote. You programmers were so preoccupied with whether or not they could do something that they shouldn't stop to think if they should do something. Hmm. Of course, in the Jurassic Park version, they're talking about making dinosaurs. But in this case, you're talking about making another messaging app, which, let's face it, is never a good idea. Hmm. So, Joel, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. Yeah, and definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We bling them out, man. <laughs> a few blinky lights, you know, <laughs> a little music. It's all good. To, I love this. I'm looking at the iWalk thing. He put a headlight on his knee. Yeah, he light did. there, right? Yeah. It's like you see where he's going. I love it. Hey, are you using the new version of Skype right now? I am. Because I can't hear you at all. Really? Your volume went from great to practically silent. Way to go, Microsoft. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> uh, and I wonder if it's the, yeah, I turned off all the automatic gain stuff. But it just I went completely that, down. Wow, that's really cool. That's really awesome. I'm so happy about that. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> so, Richard, why don't you tell us about your conversation with Jessica? So, this was one of the, the first show we did on the, the Telerik Modern Web Tour, and it was in Berlin. We had a nice crowd, great space, too. And I was fortunate to be able to convince Jessica Engstrom to come with us. We've talked to her in the past about VR, AR-related stuff, but, mm-hmm. you know, she's got a real strong penchant for user design experiences as a whole. Uh, of course, she does, deals with the 3D space, but she also deals with web and uh, desktop apps. So we were able to just drill into that, how to get developers to think more about the UX. It was just this right. acknowledgement that it's super rare to find a dedicated UX person. And so we all need to sort of up our game. And so we talked about some tools and techniques and thinking around how to, to, to just consider UX in your day-to-day development efforts. Yeah. Awesome. Let's roll it. Hey Berlin, it's .NET Rocks! All right, and we're here in Berlin uh, at the first stop of this Telerik Modern Web Tour. And I have the good fortune to be talking to my friend Jessica Engstrom. And let's leave a little bit of the bio here, because it's a good one. Uh, Being a geek shows in all parts of her life, whether it be in organizing hackathons, running a user group, and a podcast with her husband, game nights, retro, or virtual reality. 
with friends, just catching the latest superhero movie because she's a Marvel fan for better or worse, or speaking internationally at conferences. And her favorite topics are UX, UI, mixed reality, and other futuristic tech. And Jessica is a Windows development MVP. And together with her husband, Jimmy, she runs a company called AZM Dev, which is focused on HoloLens, Windows development, UX, and the teaching of the same. Because you don't just live the UX life. You teach the UX I life. I do, for developers especially. Which I, I find very interesting because there's also been an energy around this is a, a specialty that other people should be doing rather than development. But yeah. you don't agree. Well, it's not what the reality is telling us. Right. Of course, if you have the, the funding for it and then the people for it, it would be better if you have a UX team. Okay. But usually you don't. It's a lot of software built with yeah. just one dev, two yeah. devs. Yeah, exactly. And mm -hmm. even if you have a larger company, sometimes it just gets in, into your lap. Right. So you need to know a little bit about it so your UX won't be bad, at least. The, I mean, I've often found that there are folks that are, that are .NET developers, you know, they live in C Sharp, but they got an act for SQL, and so they tend to own the SQL pieces of an app. Do you see that with UX as well? It's like, in theory, your life is, is C-sharp, but you got an act for UX, so we're going to put more of that user definition in, in front of you? Yeah. Okay. I, I, as soon as you pick up some of the things that are, are not .NET, mm -hmm. I, I think your boss will will feel that you did a great job with this, so... We just put everything. So now you're, yeah. you're, you were standing closest to the UX when the last guy quit. So now you're the UX person. Yeah. Okay. A little bit like that. I would hope if you show competence in it, it's because you're interested in it too. Yeah, hopefully. Because it's all about the user. And that's, that is something that we sometimes forget as developers, mm -hmm. that we are actually developing our software for the end user. Right. And not for the next release. I, I like the term, you are not your customer. Yeah. Like they, that, that we, I see that in the back end and, and, you know, it doesn't matter where it is. It's like often we wear our, ourselves in the way the software uses. It's, it's like, how, how many hours a day do you use the software? Well, none. It's like, so you're not the customer, are no. you? Like when I profile the customers that actually use this particular application, they're using it six hours a day. So they probably look at it very differently than you do. What are the fundamentals? Like, if you think you, you care about this sort of thing, like, what is the first thing that someone has to grasp as a, as a taking on a UX, uh, I don't know, second degree or, or specialty? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I would say, uh, keep in mind that there's a user there. Be, right. be clear and, and, and uh, concise. But there are hundreds and hundreds of laws and principles and rules when it comes to UX. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to read up on it and, and you just want to brush it off or just brush up on, on some UX so you can be better at it work, right? Right. It's, it's intimidated. It's, it's, so it's too much to just there do casually? There is a lot of things hmm. going on. But there is actually one of my favorite UX systems. Uh, it's called Tenets and Traps. It's uh, two guys from uh, Microsoft I think they were on, on uh, Microsoft Research or UX Research uh, okay. on the Microsoft um, beforehand. Their name is, is um, Steve Herbs and Michael Medlock. Mm -hmm. And they realized that there is so many laws and rules and really good books and everything and research being done for hundreds of years. So they try to boil it down because people need to understand the gist of it. You, you can't come into a developer, and I'm not calling developers stupid or anything, but you can't come into a developer and say, can, can you make this feel 
like this. Right. Because you can't code a feeling. You need to know exactly what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So so they uh, they actually went ahead and did a lot of research and they boiled everything down to to uh tennis and traps it's called. Mm-hmm. So basically is this it's a book? No, this is actually a deck of cards. Oh, interesting. You have the cards it, in your I hand. I have the card. Yeah, because that Cuz props on a radio show it's always a good amazing. thing. It's <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. We can have a picture of it okay. or something. We'll do that. No, it's a deck of cards. So basically it's it's um a couple of tenets, mm-hmm. which is a good thing about UI, so like responsive or understandable. Right. Makes sense. Common language that we all can understand. And then there are a couple of traps degrading those tenets. Mm-hmm. So if something isn't responsive, well, something is slow or or doesn't... F- feel like you're, anything is happening on the, on the web page or your app, right. you know that you're degrading that. It's like that moment of uncertainty. It's like, did I press the button? Because yes. there's no immediate prompt that I did. Yeah. It just sort of goes away. And I mean, how many times do we now have issues where people push the button multiple times? Or, yeah. And how many websites have you seen that says, only press this button once? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, that's a good solution. I'm scared when I'm doing online shopping because <laughs> I'm one of those who, who just presses until something happens. <laughs> Yeah, and that's uh, not good for my credit card. Well, <laughs> it just means the work of undoing it too. But I really we get back to it should only, if you really should only push it once, it only should be possible to push it once. Yeah. But better still, let the user know they pushed it successfully. Yeah. Right and away. that is that is the gist of what they have boiled this down. It's basically mm-hmm. a bunch of if this then that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's logical and it's complete. English, so you can actually understand what it says. That's why I, I really love this particular system because you don't have to learn those hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, principles and, and laws and, and things like that. In the beginning, you can just get on and do a great UX. But basically, it's all about what you said. We, we need to let the user know, have they pressed a button? Right. Can they even see the button? Right. Does it look like a button? It's supposed to actually be clickable. Sometimes people do um, like um, graphical features or, I mean, the great one is undermining the underlying text of a oh, link, yeah, right? Exactly. Those or, or when you have the headlines like lo- actually looks like a button. Right. If, that, if that's not clickable, that's not a good UX. Yeah, don't make it like something we believe it to be something else. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly tenant number one, responsive. Yeah. When the user does something, you can show that you understood that they did it and that if they're not supposed to do it again, don't make it possible to do it again. Like, that's number one. But I love this don't mix up your metaphors, too. You create a headline that looks like a button, but it's yeah. not a button. And now I don't know what's a button, what isn't. It's not understandable. Sure. Which also is a tenant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That it has to be understandable. Yeah. And un- understandable, I think, is the one with most traps. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can mess things up. Remember the charms bar? Yeah. In Windows 8? Yeah. The charms bar. Yeah. What was that for? Well, that was for my mom. I, I, I would actually <laughs> But did your mom say, get it? Well, it's it's a funny story. So my, my mom, she was as untechnical as they come. Mm-hmm. We are talking, when she was on XP, my brother went over there and fixed her computer, and he only changed the color from the bright blue to the olive green. Okay. Because you could do that, and you can also have the chrome color. You could have three colors back then. (laughs) So she called me almost hysterically. Oh, your brother ruined my computer. Oh, he sucked. Oh, he completely ruined my computer. And he 
took away all my games and I don't know how to do it. Could, could you please help me install all those games again? Right. So she believed the games had been removed. Yes. They, they were gone. He, he just blew the computer clean. Brothers right? do that. Yeah. But he didn't. No. Turns out they were on the desktop. Okay. But they were green. And so because so the color her, had changed. Yeah. They were effectively invisible. So this is Did she just have to red set green blindness? No, 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 not at all. No. Not at all, but she was used to them being blue, so, so that was what she was expecting. So she didn't see them basically no. anymore. Okay. But if we fast forward, I mean my brother, she, he was he is as technical as they come. Sure. He was he's younger than me, so he was born with a computer in one hand and mm -hmm. a re register hacking in the other basically. So fast forward to to Windows 8. My mom got um a surface, uh, one of the first surfaces. Right. And we didn't have time to actually show how to use it, show her how to use it. So she went home. She, she lives far from me. And she went home and I was expecting all the calls. You know the calls. The new machine. Yeah. Everything's going to go wrong. She went from XP to Windows 8. <sighs> okay. That is a big step. Well, it's only technically two versions, but yeah, metaphorically. But remember the yeah. colors? Yeah. 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 So, so somebody who couldn't handle green, how is she going to handle exactly quote, metro? Exactly. Okay. But there were there were never was any calls. So I just I, I figured she didn't use it. Yeah, that'd be logical. It was yeah. sitting in the back room and never. Been yeah, used. but she used it hmm. apparently. She she so did. she totally got it. She totally got it. And wow. then one day, my uh, brother bought her a new router and was connecting, it. and she was getting a little bit more interested in in all these technical stuff. So she wanted to look how the internet worked right like where does this cable go and and how does this work so sh she followed him around when he installed the new router and when it was time to actually put in the new information the login information uh, on network information on her her surface he was like yeah you don't have to watch this uh this is going to get ugly uh microsoft destroyed windows windows 8 is the worst thing Ever, <laughs> you can just go and and have some coffee, and well, I will I fight my way through this. Exactly, problem. and she was like, "What? Why are you trying to do? What are you trying to do?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm going to find the network settings," and she just went up to the computer and swiped from the right, Here and up comes a charm spark. Yeah, and she, she meant, "You mean that?" <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah." That's where that is. So my my very own technical mother owned my technical brother. In Windows 8. Nice. But she was probably the only one who knew about the charms bar. But and again, you always have this problem of us technical people look at it so yeah. differently. And we have this baggage. We've learned these previous yeah. systems. And so when they make new, arguably more approachable systems, we still feel like our cheese got moved. Yeah, exactly. Just give me a moment here for this very important message. Hey, Rockheads, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Here to announce the NDC Sydney Conference, September 17th through 21st. Go to ndcsydney.com to register. Tell them Carl and Richard sent you. And we're back, Richard Campbell, here in Berlin for an in-front-of-an-audience interview with Jessica Engstrom. We're talking a little about getting up to speed on UX, sort of the fundamental concepts here. And the, again, great story uh, with your mother around... Uh, there are new UI and UX paradigms that really don't apply to us yeah. as experienced technology people. I just wonder if we can get better at building software that's like that, that the our average customer uses it comfortably, even if it's a little bit frustrating for us. Yeah, but I think keyboard shortcuts and all of those things mm -hmm. are great 
for power users, right. but you need to have clear ways to do it if you're not a power user. And you touched one one of the points actually. Yeah. You you said that if if you move my cheese, I can't find it. Right. Yeah. That's why you you should not invent your own stuff. If there is a certain way to do things, um, components or what have you, that is already standard, utilize that. Sure. Because you don't have to actually teach your users how to use your software. And I, and I totally subscribe to that. And I remember, I mean, being the old guy too, back in the win three and even the win 95 days we got pretty strong style guidelines from microsoft about this is where the file menu goes where the help menu goes and you know sort of that standard metaphor with the multi-user interfaces and so forth but they kind of punted once you get into the win eight time frame and, and wpf where they really didn't provide a lot of guidance yeah but remember windows phone yes we got a little bit too much too guided? Yeah. Okay. De Design-wise, we did. Because in the beginning, when you were uh, releasing um, Windows Phone apps... You're talking Phone 7? Yes. Okay. Phone 7. Uh, so really, back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, we were basically forced to use their type of thinking but uh, or, or interpretation of Metro Design. That's right. what it's called back then. Uh, and all the apps looks exactly the same. There were gray little boxes or, or, um, panoramas and everything looked exactly the same, which right. also became a problem because the search button, we, we had a hardware search button on the phones. Right. And that always went to Bing. Every time you clicked it, it went to Bing unless you were in a native app. Right. And the native app could. could you didn't know which one was native or not. Mm -hmm. So people didn't know if they could search for emails. For instance, that's a native app. But if, since everything looked so similar, right. there was no way for us to know. And they eventually just give up on search. Yeah. Because you don't, that button doesn't do anything good. Yeah. So I don't look there. Yeah, exactly. And then developers start compensating for it by not using that button and finding their own ways to do yeah. search. And we go down a very negative spiral. Exactly. I mean, for the most part, you know, I just got an email from someone saying they still did something with their Lumia. So there's like a yeah. few still standing. Yeah. I always thought that the design language of the, of the Windows phone was one of its strengths. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I love it. it. If it wasn't for, for Windows, uh, Windows Phone, I should say, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here today. Right. It was what inspired you to yes, understand. Yes, definitely. Because it was user-centric. Mm -hmm. uh, it was all about the user. If you wanted to find your games, today you need to scroll like through your 150 apps to find that particular game or app. But back then you had uh, a game hub. Right. And you also, my, my personal favorite was the family hub or, or the people hub, I think it was called. Yeah. The people hub, yeah. So if I knew my husband asked me to buy something from the store, but I couldn't remember where he wrote it. So I have to check Skype and, and Messenger and, 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 and Facebook. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. So many places and, and text messages and emails. Mm -hmm. And we have several emails. But now they have aggregated everything. So all my history with him was in the same place. And that was a strength. I didn't right. have to go search for my, my data. I don't know that that's been duplicated in Android no. and iPhones to this day. No. It's just this idea that all of the concept of people throughout all of these apps could be focused on a... It was not really an app per se. It was just a capability of the phone. Yeah, yeah. But it, again, it carries to, for us as software builders, this idea that that's how people think 
Yeah. That they want one touch point. We have, I think as developers, we have app-centric views. Yeah. And so this idea that there's a person or a customer that might be spanning multiple apps, we really don't make it easy to make that happen. No. That's a, that's a really interesting problem. And it, it speaks to we should be better at that. Yeah, we should think about the user. Weird. Why would you do that? I All they know. do is cause problems, you know? I know. I, I found when I had no users for my software, <laughs> it worked great. It did. Yeah. Didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> do you find sort of emergent problems, like as software gets used, more new kinds of problems crop up? I mean, I certainly as a performance tuning guy see that. But I wonder if as people use the software and their skills shift, like you actually have to change the, the user interface. Maybe, yeah. It depends on what kind of application it is, mm -hmm. I think. I mean, it's, if it's an easy application and, and you only have a few things you can do, then probably no. Right. But it's, if, if you have multiple layers of things you can do, then, then maybe the user is trying to be more efficient and then your software is enabling So this is where we be. get into that concept of the, you know, when somebody's new to a piece of software, they live on the tooltip, right? Yeah. Like they're hovering their mouse over things yeah. and trying to navigate without clicking on anything, without making any mistakes. But as you become more expert, you want more shortcut keys. Yeah. But I think if, if you... If you think about your visual hierarchy in your, your application or, or web page or what have you, mm -hmm. you will get away with so much more because if we go into our web page, if we go to a web page, we won't read every single line of text before we do anything, sure. right? We just browse it. And if there's a visual hierarchy, we will directly know that this is important, this is important, and this is not as, as important. important. So what visual what is a visual hierarchy then like what, well, what do you do be, in your app to make it can that be, so? uh, it can be colors it mm -hmm. can be uh, headers right. uh, things like that uh, that actually doesn't look like the rest of, of the page and also if you have uh, search for instance that's usually up in the right corner right if you have things around that people will automatically see it faster as well yeah now i've certainly had the effect that uh, we've been trained that the sort of right-hand side of a web page is full of advertising. Yeah. So when if somebody puts something important over there, you, they just don't see it. No. And I've certainly had that experience where someone said, well, use such and such a feature. And I'm looking at the page and going, where is it? Yeah. It's on the right. And it's like, oh, it's as soon as they point it out, I thought, okay, it's there, but there's ads right there. And yeah. so I wasn't even, you know, you block it out of your mind. Yeah, and, and, and it's a thing. Mm -hmm. They've done tons of research and there's a name for it. I think it's called um, advertisement blindness right. or something like that. Uh, but it's like the whole right side of the screen. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, and that comes down to standards. If if you're using standards that when you have navigation, you have it on the, on the top or the left. Right. And you have other stuff like ads on the right. So you've created so a visual right, hierarchy. Yeah, exactly. Because the right side of that web page will be less important right. because that is what we're training ourselves. It's not what we put in there because you can put like a big red button, but I will still think that it might be, I, I'm expecting an ad. Right. So that therefore I well, won't look there. Funny, you know, ads tending to be garish. The more obnoxious I make that button, probably the more blind I'll get yeah. to it. Oh, that's true. That's funny. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? I guess it's time to jump back into the studio for the mid-body break. <laughs> well, it's time to replace the solid footing of this incredible interview with a shallow bling-bling of some stupid jokes with no purpose whatsoever. 
<laughs> you got a lot of bling in this show, my friend. The I love humor it. equivalent of blinky lights. There you go. Look at the blinky lights. <laughs> it's time to give away a free conference pass to Tech Bash happening October 2 to 5 and up to four nights at the Kalahari Resort in Pocono Manor, PA for the event. If you want to check that out, go to techbash.netrocks.com. And that is provided compliments of progress, Telerik. Nice. Yeah. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today, Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. New this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code availability, comprehensive documentation, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash download. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Fred Mastropasqua. Congratulations, Fred. Yeah. Golf clap for you. Golf clap for you, sir. And Fred wins a free conference pass to Tech Bash and up to four nights to Kalahari Resort in Pocono Manor, Pennsylvania for the event, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to be a member of the fan club, Go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And uh, Richard, did you ask Jessica what she would do with $5,000? Why, yes, I did. So it falls to me, Jessica, to ask you the question. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology, what would you buy? Yeah, that is the question. All of them? Well, no. You know, no. I, I know all Jimmy actually wants is, is a raccoon. So yeah. You could get him a raccoon. No. no <laughs> You're not going to encourage that behavior. No, I will not. I send him raccoon videos on a regular basis. I know. He's so thankful. And I'm <laughs> thankful because that will calm him down. There you go. So he won't try to fight the Swedish government that it's actually legal it's in illegal. Sweden. Yeah. You, you don't. A raccoon is not a pet. It's not no, a good idea. No. But you two are gadget people. We are. The question is, what don't you have? We don't have a, a Surface Studio. Ah, uh, good. That's a good. I like, need one of those. With this is the big screen that you can tilt down oh, the low it's angle. Oh, so nice. It's pretty. It's very, very yeah. pretty. Yeah, I try to get it home from from New York, but won't, it won't fit in the carry on. No, <laughs> actually, I couldn't not, make it fit in my suitcase. Does it not? Did it not sell them in? in they do Sweden? now. Okay, they do now. That that's a, they've got. A, they're over three thousand dollars. They are uh, not cheap. No, so that's at least more than half right off the bat there. Yeah. But do you use a lot of like CAD software or things where you'd want to be working directly on the screen like that? No, it's just nice. It's just that pretty. <laughs> in fact, I'm not even going to turn it on. I just want it in the corner <laughs> of my room. I will just surf the web. <laughs> <laughs> use uh, Surface Dial for, for Spotify. Right. 
<laughs> and my my elder daughter is is serious about art, makes a living from from art and creating web comics and things like that. And so she works with a Cintiq, which is Wacom's product for drawing directly mm. on the screen. But it took her a long time to learn that because she learned on a, learned on a traditional tab, which is much more that mouse type metaphor where you have the screen in one place, yeah. hands in another, and you're used to drawing that way. So I don't know if drawing directly to the screen. I mean, for most people, is weird. Like, yeah, it is. It's a still a bit, thing. little bit weird, uh, I, and also the, the surface style. I like it, but it's still, it's it's still a little bit too strange. awkward. Yeah, yeah. I because do, I try to move it. Yeah, you don't. But you you can't just right. dial. You just put it in place. And yeah, turn it. yeah. It's it's not the same thing. I mean, these are all interesting UX constraints. I would say yeah. this: I don't want their computer. I want that screen. Yeah. I would like to own a monitor that I can tilt down to that sort of low kind of Star Trek console angle. Oh, yeah. That's that's what we're going to use it for. Mm-hmm. Oh, cars. Yes. Yeah. Just put it, put it down there, have a bigger monitor in front of it. I don't know that I actually want to type on it, but yeah, if I could get a You can just press the buttons. That's fine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> make it beep and bop. I mean, these are other UX constraints, right? This how we interact with yeah. the machine. It makes me wonder if we're, I mean, keyboard and mouse and screen have been around a long time. And the phone is a little bit of a shift in that metaphor that mm. you do have your finger directly on the screen, but it's not that much of a shift. No, but I think we're getting more and more into to voice mm-hmm. and things like that. And uh, we have a lot of other other means of interacting with computers and, and things and and like uh, eye tracking, for instance, right. and uh, cameras are getting so much better at catching whatever we are doing. But you, I, I mean, I, I was surprised you didn't ask for a HoloLens with your 5,000. Well, I have two. You already have a couple, <laughs> so you don't, don't really need another one. You can only wear so many at yeah, once. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's the new like UX frontier? I don't know. I think it is for some areas. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will ever be a real consumer product really? even if they get down in price i don't see people running around with with kind of bulky headsets why because it's kind of bulky right and and something's got to give either it will be expensive like today sure. or it will have low battery time right or you will have to compromise on on the field of view which it's, they've it's, already done yeah exactly well, that hololens is now what four years old it's old yeah so we're due for you know moore's law has been a, continuing to go on you would yeah. think every you know 18 months that you'd either cut the price in half or double the field of view like there we yeah. have significant benefits there yeah but something's got to give you can only have two out of three yeah. because if you cut if you if you get battery life that will last forever mm-hmm. and and you have a large field of view it will be expensive it will be expensive so one of the other has to give i've been hunting to do a show on hololens and production stuff mm-hmm. and the the area of the industry that seems to be really grabbing onto it is sort of 3d modeling manufacturing mm. so the ability to actually look at a 3d representative on yeah. unmanufactured item seems to be an interesting place. I haven't got the show in the can yet, but, you know, working on that problem. Yeah. So that's a good vertical. You, have you had any projects? Uh, some. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is mostly experimental? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mostly proof of concept because people are not really ready yet. Uh, well, people are, but companies aren't. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I think they've got to see that, that it actually makes them more yeah. effective. Like and sometimes, actually, HoloLens can save company's money interesting uh, we we've talked to to one particular com- uh, company that makes turbines mm-hmm. and 
the way they work today is they build these huge turbines in another country and they build houses for them. They are so big. Right. And then the local technician will manage whatever problems it has. Mm-hmm. And what they have to do is go into the turbine and do whatever you do to a turbine when it broke, breaking. I don't know if you turn some knobs or, or what have you. It's just a big red button that says yeah. fixed and you press it. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's easy. Good that's good UI or good <laughs> UX. <laughs> but then he has to go back and monitor the computer and see what the number says. Right. And he has to do that a couple of times. And if it's still too complicated for him to fix, he needs to call this company that comes... From Sweden, they send down a specialist wow. to this country. And I mean, that is a specialist that is not cheap. Right. And he will be out for at least three days. Yeah, sure. And that amount of money already is more than a HoloLens. So if they instead had a HoloLens already next to the turbine, uh, the first uh, local uh, technician, he could just put on the HoloLens right. and he would see all the instructions. He would see how it's supposed to be. He can see the numbers in real time. Right, so he's not going back and forth anymore. Is exactly. He doing his adjustments? And if he still needs help, he can either watch a video or do a Skype call or similar where he can actually show his feed because there's a camera as well on right. the HoloLens. So the specialist in Sweden only need to do what, an hour? Instead right. of three days. If so, they, it's almost like it's, that's a tier three support thing. Yeah. It's like you're going one more level and that high-end technician is able to see with their eyes yeah. and sort of work through the same things. You know, you mentioned eye tracking. It's one thing the HoloLens doesn't do, but I wonder if no. they wouldn't add it. Yeah, but it's still, there's a lot of work still needed to be done in, in, in eye tracking, I'd say. Right. There's a good, some good things, um, coming out with eye tracking of course uh, have you tried vr with eye tracking no it's amazing and it's also chilling right because if you if you're playing a game and it's kind of like a bad guy there and he's looking in your eyes wherever you move <laughs> that is kind of so we're raising the you know because yeah. vr wasn't already creepy yeah exactly. this is the extra level of creepy yes. that this person always but watching it does no matter where make you look. a lot of difference even if you have like communicate communication uh if you have people uh children with autism for instance right uh, they tend to um they look away yeah, but if there's actually an avatar that right. looks at them, it's easier for them for them to actually talk to them. Sure. There, there's a company, I, can, I think they're called Florero. I will look that up so mm-hmm. you can put it in the show notes. Sure. They are doing a lot of research with VR and, and eye tracking and things like that for children with autism mm-hmm. or any anything on the autism spectrum. And they are getting so amazing results. Well, that ability to practice without having to deal with another person yeah. to get over those particular challenges. And I've even seen a, a bunch of the work done now with paralyzed people where being able to see their legs move oh, yeah. through VR is so convincing that it's actually starting to send the signals yeah. to, to rewire their spines. Like yeah. that, it's interesting that VR seems so compelling for these very specific cases and at augmented reality still has so, seems fewer and yet it ought to be more. Yeah, I think it has a v- very good potential and I think it will be easier and more comfortable to work with. But I also think it's more specific cases. Right. I don't think all uh, companies will benefit from from augmented reality. 
other than it's being cool. Of unless, course. unless we get to that consumer level. Yeah. Which we don't necessarily know always. Yeah, do. and I think we need to have like regular glasses or, or things like that. Uh, very small devices. You don't want a whole helmet on your head. No, anymore. I don't think so. Well, you're taking all the fun out of it, really. Well, I will go out with it. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I've always had this belief that it'll be, if it's good enough, we will make it hipper. Like yeah. we, it'll be more tolerated yeah. too. But what are the UX considerations like for that technology? Yeah, it's different. Yeah, because all of a sudden you have, we are used to having a screen that is square. And, and, we, and about what, three feet away from us? Or yeah, exactly. And, and everything uh, to the left or or to the top is navigation. And mm -hmm. to the right, you were saying that that's yeah. ads. And yeah. we know that, but we can't, we can't fixate that on the camera or, or in the face of the user because they will not be comfortable. Right. Uh, only Iron Man can handle that much stuff going on <laughs> right in on his, his face. face. Yeah. Jarvis. Yeah. That's a UX <laughs> I don't want to work in. <laughs> but I think we have, all of a sudden we have 360 degrees right. of canvas and we, we need to be aware of, we have obstacles in the real world if we're doing AR, mm -hmm. that can actually hinder you to see your menus and, and your visual cues and things like that. Right. So there's a lot of things to think about. Uh, but it's a very interesting field. Hmm. Yeah. And th same thing goes for VR. Um, you, you are, well, you, you have 360 there, but you, you know what is in front of you because you programmed. <laughs> and I'm trying the to game. decide if VR is a harder problem or an easier problem because AR has to deal with the physical things that you're yeah. still seeing and and you're hoping VR, you're just taking all that away and you're sort of in a safe space. Yeah. But you get to create everything in VR. Yeah, you exactly. are the world. Yeah. And, and it's more, well, it's more to do, isn't it? And, mm -hmm. and you need to have more computer power right. to, to actually run that. And also uh, cyber sickness is we we're still researching. Yeah. Motion yeah. sickness. Yeah. We're still researching why we get motion sick from sure. VR. And there's a, a lot of different Didn't the higher theories. resolution, higher frame rate screens get rid of a lot of that? Well, some of it, yes. Okay. But you still have to think about a lot of other things, like um, when you're moving uh, or, or if, if you're just moving your head, mm -hmm. it needs to be instant. Because if it's lagging, you will feel sick. Right. Well, some people will. Some are more sensitive than others. Of course. Right. And, and that has to do with your, your, your form of a day. If, if you feel bad, if you have a cold coming on, mm -hmm. you can get more sick. Right. You're more uh, sensitive. Yeah. They also have found uh, some, um, the female hormones can actually make you more uh, prone to or cyber sickness as sensitive well. Sensitive to it? Yeah. So, so depending, a lot on, of, depending on where you are in that cycle, yeah. you may or be more oh, yeah. or less sensitive. Yeah. And if you're standing up or sitting down or have a headache, it, it, there's a lot of things going on. and And also the whole... You see that you're moving, but your body feels that you're sitting right. or standing. That's a whole uh, thing as well. So well it's, there's I mean, a lot to think about. I'm very aware of motion sickness, spending some time on the ocean and things like that. Yeah. It's like as soon as your body is moving differently than what your eyes think it is, yeah. you know, you're on the path. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is just another version of, of yeah. exactly that. And you have to think about things like have a fixed point. If you're going on a balloon ride in, right. in VR, have a fixed point that people can focus on if they're trying, if they're feeling a little bit sick, mm -hmm. because that will make things easier. Right. And, and use, um, the controller. 
being able to see your hands, I understand, is very important. Yeah, that too. Yeah. That too. So seeing the controllers is, is amazing. Right. Uh, but also when you're when you're uh, project. No, it's not called projecting. Anyone know what it's calling when you where you um, HTC Vive when you have that beam? So it's sort of pointing to the where you're going to teleport. Yeah, to teleport. Ah, there you go. I found the word. That's the word. <laughs> so if you're teleporting, that right. will also help uh, when you're moving. But I like that they create that. I've seen that on the Vive. That little beam is yeah. actually a way to stop you from feeling ill. Yeah. It's like you're going to end up there, and then you almost your brain maps that out. Now you yeah. need to jump, and you're not as messed up. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, I don't want to get too far off the path of that whole UX conversation, too, because this, while still an interesting UX conversation, is a very niche part of the world. Yeah, it still. is. When we think about web pages and desktop apps and what you know, m most people are working on every day, uh, I'd love to keep running down. Like, how do I make this better? What are what are the things I'm looking at first? Well, try to make it as simple as possible, mm -hmm. regardless of what platform you're you're doing. I, I tend to find it easier if I start at a cell phone size, right. like a mobile phone or yeah. whatever you call it. Smartphone. Uh, yeah, smartphone. Uh, because then you have gotten all the problems out of the way. And if you can actually press the button um, on your phone with your finger, it will work with a mouse and right. keyboard. Everything else will be yeah. easier. Yeah, that uh, getting down to a four-inch wide form factor that can be used with one thumb and one yeah. hand. yeah. That just tends to simplify the UX yeah, dramatically. Exactly, and and I think if you if you have that mindset that everything should be easy, you, you should actually think about what is the most important thing on your web page. Mm -hmm. Are you trying to sell something, or are you trying to get them to listen to a podcast? Mm -hmm. What is most important, and make sure that is visible. Um, sort of front and center. Yes, exactly. So people know that this is the most important thing on this page. And, and, and use as many standards and components and things like that as possible because people already know those. Right. You can, you can modify them and, and to make them look good uh, for your page, of mm -hmm. course. But if you start to do some three finger scrolling on your page, people will feel it's, it's slower. And also difficult to to browse your web page. Yeah, and especially those kinds of gestures that are kind of secret and specific. Yeah. The three the yeah. three fingered scroll. Yeah. I have that happen every so often on some device I'm using that I do it unintentionally, and it's like there's some move. I think there's some move on my phone that causes my camera to come up. I just don't know what it is, except yeah. that every so often my camera. You appears. know how many screenshots I have on my phone? <laughs> From the accidental three movement. fingers. Yeah, accidental <laughs> movements. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, that's a lot of, of secret sauce kind of uh, tricks that are stashed away in there. Yeah, and I think that is is why some operative system are more difficult to learn than others. Mm -hmm. Because if you have clear standards, standard way of doing things, it's more easy to actually do sure. it. It will become habituating, right? Which is also one of the tenets. Right. Yeah. To create habits that yeah. are consistent and will make it easier for yeah. people to get better at it over time. And I have run into software where no matter how much practice you get with it, it never gets easier. No. Like there's so many things about it. What do you follow on things like form validation? Is it better to validate on the fly, show them the current mistake? Like I get very frustrated where I correct one thing yeah. and then I have to post again. They tell me the next thing that's wrong. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Because if you have 10 issues, right. it will take forever and I sure. will just rage quit. 
well, do I'm something a rage else. quitter. Well, I am a rage quitter. I, I think there's a there's a limit. The, it's in your best interest to not be too patient with software. Yeah. At times, it needs to be better than this for me to continue. Yeah, I think so because we have so much competition today. Mm-hmm. So if if you are doing something like validating one time one one error at a time, right. I will go to your competitor because they are validating everything at a, right. one time. But whether or not you're doing it. Um, in real time or not, I don't think that's an issue as long as you're clear and and you don't have to do it 10 times over, right? right? So if you want to do it in real time, good, then we know. Uh, that can also be an, an, an irritation moment, though, because if you are putting in your email address and you, the first letter you put in, it says, this is not a legit um Email. Right. Yeah, people are laughing. People know <laughs> what I'm talking about. And that means there's the red text coming up yeah. which means i will no longer be typing i will be reading right because red and and motion will draw my attention so, so you don't want to start the validation till you give a sense that the user has finished with that field yeah but well it, it's you have to it's a personal personal preference i think uh, i'm one, that, one of those impatient persons uh, the 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 hunting down of a valid user id you know, where it's like, what, how many versions of your name can you come up with? Oh, yeah. And one that hasn't actually been used. Yeah. Don't get me started on passwords. Ugh. You need to have a secure password. Therefore, I am dictating to you that yeah. you need to have this many letters and yeah. you have to have at Only least one number. Only eight characters long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. I mean, I'm all for good password standards. Yeah, but, but don't some of these are really me, bad password standards. Yeah, don't force me to to do the one thing or the other thing, right. or how many numbers I should have in my password. Yeah, now the math is still is pretty pretty clearly that passwords are based on entropy, and so longer is better. So as long as, if I have a sixty four character password and it happens to not have a number in it, yeah. you should probably still accept it. Yeah, that seems and that's right. also a bad UX uh, forcing the user to do something out of their comfort zone. Sure, because if I'm used to doing passwords sixty four only letters, right? Then then all of a sudden you have to start thinking about numbers. Where do mm-hmm. I put the numbers? Yep. So it's also. F- you're, you're forcing the syntax basically for the user. No, I mean, I, I'm enough of a security guy that I want you to have a good password. Yeah, of course. I, I really want you to, to have passwords long enough that, that is not on the list of top, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, yeah. like that. Or no, password. Or password <laughs> or secret, because that's clever. <laughs> well, wait, wait, but we deleted it. The secrets are, the E's are actually threes that's safer i I, I like the ones where you can uh, get the the um as you type your password it will go from strength indicator weak yeah medium stronger exactly that's good ux said i'm not a password typer because i use a password manager where i literally say to it give me a 20 character password yeah bunk so strong (laughs) (laughs) it's when the when it comes back and goes your password's too long yeah (laughs) it's like i'll rage quit on that oh i'm only allowed an eight character password well i don't think you're qualified to have my data (laughs) thanks very much that's not enough password for me (laughs) i need better than that do you find yourself writing emails to certain sites saying you, you need to make this suck less I I want to, but I would nobody would benefit from that. <laughs> but you're not raging at that point. You're trying to be helpful. No, but in the beginning I'm I'm really frustrated right. and I, I think they're doing things wrong and I realize I cannot email people saying you're doing this wrong. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So it's better not. <laughs> just, just be. I think it's the polite Sweden you coming out. Yeah, maybe, but <laughs> yeah. Maybe write it up at the time and then read it tomorrow <laughs> when you're not quite so angry about it. Yeah. Or maybe it'll just make you angry again. <laughs> no, no, I'm good that way. Okay, if yeah. you're over it, if at I that can point. sleep on it, yeah. then then it wasn't a big deal. Okay. So then I won't do it. Then you that. won't send it anyway, or you would actually revise it. Well, I mean, it you, depends. You want them if, to be better. Yeah, of course. If it's if it's a uh, um. If I know that this is an independent uh, developer, mm-hmm. I will probably uh, contact them, sure. uh, but be nice about it mm-hmm. because they might not know, or or I want them to succeed, right? Uh, because I'm all for the community, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if it's a company, I don't know. It depends on what it is. If they make me feel like not worth uh, their time, right? I will not give my time to them, sure. I think. Well, and there's no better vote than the vote with your feet. You know, yeah. there's people not using your site because your site is awful. Yeah. You know, I think that's also an aspect to it. Uh, Jess, any last words? What have we missed? Things people should be looking at? I love the the tenants and traps cards. I'll make sure there's a link in there for yeah. that. Well, make it, make it, make it simple. Mm-hmm. As simple as possible. And then you can build from there, I, I would say, because... If you have one thing that your page can do or, or your app can do, make sure they know how to do it. Awesome. And that's it for us at Donut Rocks. Big hand for Jess. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 